This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And so I call this message, God Changes You, or God Needs to Change You. And that's really the bottom line of this message. I can't change myself, you can't change yourself. That's, remember that, that is the whole bottom line. I can't change myself, you can't change yourself. I look at the Word of God, and there's so many stories of people in a rut who change. You know, I think, I think of Abraham. And Abraham, um, well, his father was a guy named Terah. This is in Joshua chapter 24. Just listen, Joshua said to all the people, Joshua 24 two. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, that's his grandpa, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. Now think about that. Abraham's father, grandfather, ancestry worshipped other gods. And history tells us that they even worked building the Tower of Babel, that very pagan temple, to the glory of man and to demon spirits. And you just stop and think, all that pagan thinking was pumped into and woven into Abraham. He was raised with that. It flowed in his blood. And then Genesis 12, 3 says, God spoke to Abraham, said, leave, go where I tell you to go. In Genesis 12, 7, God appeared to him, said, I'm going to give you this whole land. And guess what? Abraham listened and Abraham went. He changed. He shed his whole past. He jettisoned the whole deal. And he went, even despite all those influences on his life. But you see what happened is God did the changing. I just think that's a great story, how this man who was so seeped in paganism changed. And then I think about Job. In Job chapter 1, verse 8, the word of God says that what God said of Job, he is the most righteous man on the face of this earth. And then Job loses everything. You know that story. And Job cries out to God in the next chapter. He says, I'm a righteous man. I'm a righteous man. I'm a righteous man. I don't understand this, Lord. I just want to understand this. He kept saying, I'm a righteous man. I can't figure this out. And then God talked to him. In Job chapter 42 And in verse 5, Job says, My ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Now listen to this. Therefore, verse 6, Job 42, Therefore I despise myself, and in dust and ashes I repent. That is huge. Here is this guy claiming before God, Oh, Lord, I am righteous. I am righteous. And now he says, I understand I'm not righteous. Is that a change? I'm a sinner. And I deserve zero of what you blessed me with. And in dust dust and ashes, I repent, man. That is a huge internal change. God changes. I think one more, Simon Peter. There's so many examples, but Jesus' disciple Peter, he's sitting around that campfire and people are looking at him and say, hey, you know this, Jesus. And he, three times, he denied. He said, I don't know. Never saw the guy before in my life. Well, the same Peter in Acts chapter 4, the same guy, same Simon Peter, stands before the Jewish Sanhedrin. That's the ruling council of the Jews. 
people who hate the very name of Jesus, he stands before that council for healing a man in Jesus' name. And Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 10, listen to this. He's standing before the Sanhedrin for healing this guy. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you guys crucified, but whom, excuse me, the God you worship raised from the dead, this man stands before you healed because of Jesus' name. Man, that took guts. Tremendous courage. And the great thing about that deal is the Lord changed Peter by fruit by forgiving his denials. That's in John 21. In John 21, he said, you're still valuable to me. You denied me, but you're still valuable to me, okay? It was mercy that changed Peter. Mercy, not, hey, hey, when will you ever shape up, see? Mercy changed him. Think about that when you want people, people in your life to change. Not, hey, when will you ever shape up? That doesn't work. You know it works? You're still mine. You're still valuable to me. Mercy works. God changes us in a lot of ways. Maybe you want to think about change that applies to the world you live in, where your Heavenly Father's put you. From one end of the Bible to another, God's changing people. That, that, that is a primary, major truth of God's Word. He changes us. And I believe, this is just personal, but I believe the most dramatic change in the Bible is the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. So if you want to go to Acts chapter 9, we'll, we'll park on this. Paul was born Saul, Saul, from the city of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. And he went to synagogue school. And the rabbis in synagogue school taught young Saul. And they gave him a measuring line 59 feet long. Now, here's why they gave him the measuring line. They gave him like a tape measure, whatever they measured with in that day. Because the law said, this is not God's law, this is the rabbinic laws that the rabbis made. God never made this law. The law said, from your house to your well, you can only go 59 feet to get water. If you go 60 feet, you have broken the law. Well, I want 60 feet. You want 60 feet, you infidel? But see, they gave you a measuring line, so you knew you could only walk 59 feet. But that was man's law that the rabbis added over the centuries, along with hundreds of other laws, to God's law. But now you see, Saul of Tarsus went to rabbi school, synagogue school, almost every day, growing up. And man, he knew those laws. Man, he was devoted to those laws. He memorized those laws. He knew them inside out, upside down, backward and forward. They ran in his blood. And when the rabbis and the Pharisees and the chief priests of the Jews, all true legalists, devoted to those rabbinic laws, observed young Saul, they said, hey, this guy's got potential. He's, he, he's one of us, man. He loves these laws. So they trained him in the higher rabbinic schools, and, and, and they assigned him to the greatest of all teachers, a guy named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the guy who personally taught and mentored Saul. And so he ascended in the ranks of the Jewish legalists, I'll tell you. And, and he's a young guy. And along comes this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth, read Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, your rabbis said, but I say. Saul felt his blood boil. Not kidding you. Jesus trumped their rabbis. He claimed that his teaching would have more authority than the rabbis. And they said, the guy's only a carpenter from Nazareth. And he walks right into our synagogues and he parks himself in a chair and people gather around him and he teaches them. And he says he came from the father in heaven, that God in heaven is actually his father. What gall? 
And he says the laws you must obey are only the commandments of God and not all the laws that our rabbis wrote. Just obey God's commands, see? He was undermining the law. Then he died. They finally got rid of him. They killed him. They had him crucified at long last, see? And now, now his disciples are spreading all these lies that Jesus rose from the dead. Nonsense, they said. He never rose from the dead. The disciples stole his body. All this was in Saul of Tarsus. He hated the way. The way was the name of the Jesus movement. And Saul hated Jesus. He hated Jesus. He hated him. And all he taught, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That sounds like Saul. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there, any there who, were, who belonged to the way, whether men, women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He didn't care if it was men, women, or kids. I mean, Saul didn't care. Wipe out this Jesus thing. That's all he cared about, man. Saul became known as the anti-Jesus crusader. Wipe out that name at all costs. Wipe out the people who are devoted to him. Verse 3, Acts 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Hey, this is interesting. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? What's the next word? Me, why do you persecute me? Well, he never persecuted Jesus. He, he was hurting all those people, right? But why are you persecuting me? When any one of his beloved children is persecuted in any way for Jesus' name, for their faith in him, whether you're criticized, left out, whatever, they're persecuting, not you, man. They are persecuting him. We, that is so neat. We are so identified with Jesus Christ. When they persecute you for the name of Jesus, it's like they're persecuting him. So Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then verse 5, who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I love that. Notice he called him Lord. He called this man in this light, this person in this light, Jesus. He called him Lord. Who are you, Lord? See, stuff was beginning to, ha beginning to happen inside, inside, inside Saul, see. And there's a big principle here. Change begins from the inside out. If there's no change here in your heart, forget changing the exterior, your behavior in any significant way. It's only going to be temporal or temporary, temporary. There has to be a heart change first. Now remember, remember, Saul is this anti-Jewish guy. Let me read from verse 6. Jesus says, now get up and go into the city of Damascus and you'll be told what to do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So verse 8, Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand to Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. He didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything. Verse 10 in Damascus, there was a disciple there named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of, of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. And this is great, interesting, for he's praying in a vision that I gave him. He's seen a man called Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Ananias says, Lord, I've heard all these reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem as if to say, I'm not going. Then in verse 14, he's come here with authority from, from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name, he says. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. The man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. 
I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Isn't that great? This man is my chosen instrument to what? Suffer, suffer. Great job description, huh? <laughs> you, 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 you have a job interview. Hey, we like you, man. You're hired. Here's your job description. You're going to preach to the Jews and they're going to throw you out of the synagogue and they're going to beat you half to death. You're going to go to Gentile cities and cause riots wherever you go. And one day some crazy emperor called Nero is going to chop your head off. We're happy to have you on our team. Go for it, you know? <laughs> Good job description. Verse 17, then Ananias went, to, went, into the, went to the house and entered therein. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, I love this. He said, brother Saul, brother. He is now a brother in Jesus Christ. Wow. He said, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately... Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up. He was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And so the transformation is now complete. That, to me, is the greatest story of change in the whole Bible. It happened when he met Jesus Christ. He couldn't see. He was alone praying, fasting, and thinking for three days. And I really believe that's where the transformation occurred in those three days. And God would then change his name from Saul. That's his Jewish name to Paul, his Gentile name. And every see, you got to read the Bible. Like Peter, God changed it from Peter to Cephas or Simon. Or, or no, he changed it from Simon to Peter to Cephas. I mean, anytime he changed from Abraham's name, from Abram to Abraham. Anytime God changes a person's name in the word of God, he has significantly changed him from the inside out. So picture Paul in your mind's eye in the house of Judas on State Street, a straight street. Three days, no food, no water, dwelling on the scriptures he had learned so well. Now I will grant you, Saul learned all those laws that the rabbis added to the scriptures. But he also knew the scriptures that God inspired. Saul of Tarsus knew that Old Testament so well, I bet he could quote the whole thing. Man, did Saul know him. Now, here's what that tells me about God. And you, it tells me, and here's what it tells you. All his young life, Saul went to synagogue school. He learned the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. And see, what most of us know is this. We know that the whole Old Testament points to Christ. The whole New Testament tells about him and looks back on him that all of the scriptures are all about Jesus. Script, the Bible is all about Jesus, Old and New Testament. But see, Saul had never been taught that, never. So he's in the house, the house of this guy, Judas, on Straight Street. He'd just been confronted and blinded by the Lord Jesus himself. He's blind, he's fasting, he's praying, sorting through all this. Thinking through the scriptures that he knew. Now, here's what I believe. I believe in those moments alone, God the Father, by God the Holy Spirit, revealed to Saul that all the scriptures this guy knew so well that they all pointed to Christ. I believe in those three days, God revealed to him all that scripture you've learned all your life. It's all about Jesus. And I can just see Saul blind, fasting saying, it was there all the time. And I never saw it. And see now, Saul, soon to be Paul, could take these scriptures that he knew so well and teach the hardline Jews, man, and those people who were literally blind to the truth and debate them and convince them, and he could go into their circles and say, man, I had all these Jesus hang-ups like you did. I hated the guy. But now, and I've been where you are, 
But now, now I see all these scriptures are all about him. And because he'd been there and done that, man, people were going to listen. See, all those years in legalistic Judaism, God was getting him ready for this moment in time. Now, here's what that tells me. Because you are going through some tough stuff. We all are going through some tough stuff that you don't understand right now. Makes no sense. But see, we don't think like God. How do you know how God is going to use in your life, in someone else's life, what you're going through right now? What he's going to do with it, see? Yeah, maybe you're a little hostile to Christ and the things of God. Maybe you're here because your wife or your mom or your husband or somebody wants you here, not because you want to be here. It wasn't your choice to come here this morning. You don't want to be here. Listen, someday you may embrace Jesus Christ like Saul did. And you may talk to people who were just like you, hostile, because you've been there. And you may say, man, I, was, I, was, I had all these hang-ups too, but here's what I learned. See, here's the great thing. Nothing in your life is without purpose. That's what I see here. God, God's using what you're going through right now, and he's got a purpose for this whole thing. Nothing is without purpose. Zero, 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 zero. And that, to me, is very exciting. Because you know what? When you think like that, you start thinking seriously. What's happening now is getting you ready for something. I mean, you've got to think like that. See, and all the possibilities are wide open, man. And then, you know, you know what that does? That takes me to Philippians 2.14. When you start thinking like that, look at Philippians 2.14. It says, do everything without complaining or arguing or complaining or, or grumbling so that you may become blameless and pure children of God in a crooked, depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I mean, you're going through something. And the rest of the world is grumbling and complaining about what they're going through, but you're not grumbling and complaining, and you stand out. You stand out like a star in the universe in a dark world, okay? Why? Because you know this is preparation. This is only preparation. God's using this. He's going to take this, and somewhere down the road of your life, he's going to use it in ways you don't know. He's getting you ready for something. See, the present has bearing on the future. And only God lives in your past. Only God lives in your present. Only God lives in your future. And only God sees what's going on here, what went on here, and what's going to go on here. And only God knows what he's going to do with this thing that's going on right now and how it's going to accomplish his purpose and affect all those people. And think about this, too. I mean, this will make you jump for joy. What's going on now Maybe getting you ready for something really tough, something tougher to handle down the road of life at a later time, but nothing is without meaning. And so Saul changed. As we think about change, understand this. This is an important point as we think about change. God never changes. He never changes. And this is so key. In a culture where we can't keep up with technology, where life changes so fast, he never changes. And you guys know this passage, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now look at the book of the prophet Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 6. I am the Lord. I do not change. That's God's word. He never changes. His law never changes. You know, people today may say, well, it's better to live together. Just till you get to know the person that you're going to marry so you know you're, what, what you're getting into. I mean, you don't want to marry this person and not know what you're getting into, do you? Listen, popular opinion doesn't change God's perfect will for us. Sex is still given only to married people to be within the will of God. Sex outside of marriage is against the law of God. His law never changes. 
And here's something so precious. God's love never changes either. I mean, the father sent his only son to give his all for us. That love never changed. Folks, that love never changed. The, the, the love that sent Jesus to the cross for you never changed. See, you got you to get a hold of this. This is hard for me to get a hold of too because I always think I can get God to love me more by being better. Any of you guys fall into that trap? I think I can get God to love me more if I just act a little bit better, if I sin a little bit less. Now, come on. He will never love you less. He will never love you more. His love is settled. His love for you is absolutely perfect. I don't care what circumstances of your life change, what you do or don't do. He set his love upon you, and that never changes. And that's the stability you have in a changing world. Folks, that's the anchor for your soul. Now. Look at this. God changes us. He changed Paul the Apostle. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it's God who changes you. You don't change yourself. So let's deal with that. And let's ask, first of all, why God changes us. Why? I look at two passages in God's Word. We've got to look at why He changes us. And the first is because He knows us. I'm looking at the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 12, and this is verse 3. You know me, O Lord. You see me. Isn't that something? You know me, you see me, you test my thoughts about you. I look at Psalm 17. David's enemies were ganging up on him, and David prays in Psalm 17, Hear, O Lord, my righteous plea. Listen to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. Psalm 17, verse 1. Verse 2, may my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what's right. And then you get to verse 3. Though you probe my heart and examine me at night, though you test me, you will find nothing. What did that just say? David says, you probe me. I mean, Jeremiah said, you know me, you see me, you know my thoughts about you. David just said, you probe me, you, you, you examine me, you test me, probe, examine, test, probe, examine, test, know. See, God knows us. And he wants to conform us to his perfect will for us. That's why he changes us. He wants us to be like his son. He knows us inside out, man. And he changes us to conform us to the image of his son. And here's another reason he changes us, because we need to change. We really need to change. I'll just use myself as an example, because I know me better than I know you. You know, it's, it's easy to... Um, Live your faith mechanically and serve people mechanically. That's very easy. Well, God wants me to do this, so I guess I better do it. There's not a whole lot of sensitivity there, is there, in serving people. Listen, folks, I, I never want to lose sensitivity to people or compassion, and that's something that a lot of us struggle with. I never want serving people to be just a job. But that can happen. And this is the great God we have, because when I start to move toward that insensitivity, the Lord will put me in a situation, and I'll experience it for myself, and I'll think to myself, a name will come to my mind, or two names, or three names, and I'll say, wow, now I know what they're going through. So-and-so just went through the whole thing. And that's God changing me building that sensitivity in me, see? Hey, anybody here proud? Is God humbling you? Anybody here lose sight of eternity and what real life is all about? I mean, what real life is all, real life is all about, and then somebody you love gets sick or you get sick or something like that, and just that quick money and stuff doesn't mean a whole lot in the world to you? See what's happening? God's reshaping your values, man. He's turning your world right side up again because he knows you. That's Jeremiah 12, 3. He sees you. 
And because he probes your heart, he examines you and knows you thoroughly. And he changes you because we need changing. And we're fallen sinners, and sometimes we let our world get out of whack. Anybody's language slipping a little? You know, you say a word you shouldn't say, and you feel a little bit of a prick in your conscience, but your language keeps slipping. You don't change. And so right now, you need more than a prick in your conscience, man. You need a jolt from God, and so God's going to jolt you. I mean, do you see that? I mean, the conscience pricks aren't working anymore. You need some jolts. Do you see that as coming from God? Or how about this? You help somebody, and when you do help somebody or do something good for somebody, well, you got to go and tell two and three and four people, well, I did this and this and this and this. And now all of a sudden, it's not about service or servanthood and helping people. It's all about you. It's glory for you because you got to tell everybody about it. You know what I want to challenge you to do? I want to challenge you to do good to people and not go home, not tell your husband, not tell your wife, don't tell anybody. Just do it and understand that God knows you did it. God knows. Is that enough for you that no one else knows? No one else knows this good thing you did that only God knows and God is pleased with you and no one else has to know? See, God's trying to get you to that point. See, God's always working in you because we need changing. And how he changed us is a message in itself. Circumstances, like I just mentioned. He'll send, he'll send people into your life. I got a bunch of stories about non-believers who told, me, who told me what I need to hear. That come from a non-believer. But he primarily changes us, folks, through his words, through his word. Saul was locked up alone, three days, no food, no water, blind churning over these scriptures in his mind that he knew so well until he said, man, I've been so wrong. It was an awareness moment. This is all about Christ. You get into that word and I promise you, God, the Holy Spirit will give you the same awareness and see. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.